0: Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know, to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader.
1: Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, the opportunity for you, our listeners, to get at least one proven and practical idea that will help you run a more sustainable, profitable, and hopefully overall great business. We have with us today a gentleman that I've gotten to know over the last four or five years, Wicked Smart. He is remarkably quick and bright, very, very disciplined guy. He's also done a good job at knowing what he's instinctive at and naturally good at doing, and spends a lot of his time in those areas in the business and extremely results driven. One of the most results driven people I know. He's Kurt Barney. He's the CEO of Vandalia Rental, Vandalia, Ohio. If you don't know where Vandalia is, it's just North of Dayton, Ohio and the crossroads of America they refer to at the intersection of I-70 and I-75. Kurt, welcome to the Ed Epley experience. Thank you, Ed, happy to be here. Yes, sir. Appreciate that introduction. Not sure that's, uh, I'll try and live up to that. (laughs) You have no problems living up to it. You know, it it occurred to me as I was prepping for today's discussion with you that maybe not all of our audience understands what an equipment rental house is and does. So could you give the audience uh, the uninitiated, a quick overview of what the business is and the markets you serve and and how you make or don't make money? Sure.
2: Absolutely. So Vandalia Rental is in the commercial space. We're in the rent to rent model of equipment on the short-term solutions, which is typically defined by less than a year duration. Okay. Our primary customer base, again, in that commercial space is the construction, the industrial, and the governmental sectors. Mm -hmm. And we've expanded our branch network now to go from Lima, Ohio, clear down to Northern Kentucky. And as of this month, we should be coming out of the ground in our first location in Columbus,
1: Ohio. You're going to be in my neck of the woods then, huh? Very close, just south of Hilliard. Yeah, I love it. Glad you're coming. You grew up in the business, right? You, It's kind of in your blood? Absolutely. When did you know you wanted to make this your career? Was that always uh, in the back of your mind or was there a point at which you were looking to do something else and realized, yeah, I think I'm going to stay where I am?
2: You know, I think I've always had a passion for this industry. In some capacities, it's all I've ever known, but I think that's because I fell in love with it early on. You know, I joke with people and say that I outgrew the sandbox, so I was forced to find bigger toys. (laughs) Um, But really, I was not allowed back in this business for family reasons after graduating college until I'd gone somewhere else. And I think that was brilliance on my father's behalf so that I could experience it, really make sure it's what the right commitments of my professional journey needed to be and it, there's no doubt it was i lasted 181 days somewhere else in the finance business and took a, a tremendous amount of value from that experience but was excited to to come back to this business and, and be a part of it
1: you know it it's so important to know what you don't want to do and that 180 days was pretty important in that regard wasn't it it, it was i'm i'm way too transparent honest sometimes and when i was going through college
2: interviews i was a little bit more transparent than maybe I, I should have been where I said, well, what do you want to do? Or where do you see yourself? And I said, well, I believe that I'll probably be in the family business in a few years. And what really drew me to that organization was they said, well, if you learned that you would like this better than that business, would you give it a fair shot? And I, I had to stop and pause for a second. and I thought, well, yeah, I believe I would. And, um, they took that bet. I took that bet. And we both learned that I was best suited for the equipment rental industry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, everybody won. Everybody won with that one. <laughs> you know, uh, you're not the first person we've had on the podcast who's, from an organizational standpoint, made the transition from first generation to second. So you've you've certainly done that by all appearances very, very well. I know there had to be, it, it wasn't always... Perfect, but I get the impression that it went really about as smoothly as these transitions can go, so would you mind telling the audience about when you made the transition from your dad being the CEO to you being the CEO what was that like and how much planning went into it, and you know what went well and what didn't sure absolutely i I came into the business I believe when I was twenty twenty
2: two and officially bought my dad out when I was 29. So we had a relatively early transition relative to what you would typically see in a a family succession. I take zero credit for that. I give my father the utmost credit for that. He was the initiator, he was the driver, he was the coach behind that entire process. What went well, I think is where we're at today. The fact that we've successfully transitioned the business, the family had zero impacts. Thanksgiving feels the same. And that was our barometer of success. What um, a good one. That's a great one. Yes, I credit my mother for that completely. But that was how we define success of a positive transition. And um, each member of the family had 100 percent veto power for this to not go through so that it was not a majority rule. It was 100 percent on board.
1: Was that just your mom and your dad and yourself or with other family members that had that veto? No, it was apology. my brothers. I have two brothers. And neither of which are involved in the
2: business. And because of my youth at the time, you know, there was still a, a, an equitable transaction that needed to be taken place as part of this transition. And those we
1: learned through the journey are different things. Wonderful. Well, that's, that's impressive. So in, in the look back, would you have done anything different, you think, in terms of the transition? In terms of the transition, I think there's anytime you do anything, I think
2: you can look back and find things that you could have refined. I think there's a few of those things that we could have done differently, but overall I would say that we got an A in that process. There was some learning that had to take place on my end. This is the first time that I'd gone through it, that my dad had ever gone through it. And it's really kind of meant to be a one and done. So I think if we were to have to go hit the rewind button, go back 10 years, we've probably learned along that journey and we would have been able to do it a little quicker the next go round, but I'm not
1: disappointed
2: in the in the two to three years that it took.
1: Got it. All right. Well, well done. I I appreciate you sharing that. That'll be helpful for our audience. You know, because you didn't spend a lot of time somewhere else to see what was good or bad in terms of management and leadership. I'm curious about who've been your biggest influences in the way you manage and lead.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know that I've ever really had any formalized uh longstanding leadership training experience outside of uh, the classroom college things of that capacity right. but i think my my mom and dad had a, a a strong north star towards doing the right thing and um owning the results seeing the follow through my grandfather had a lot of off the wall if you would sayings and i i catch myself storytelling some of the same stories with the same guiding principles that he would say And probably the most hidden one I think that influenced how I naturally lead is my sports coaches. I played competitive sports most all my high school and and elected not to play in my college career. But I really look at business as a team sport. And I think that if we respect one another's talents and we align them and put the right person in the right position with the right playing time, it's amazing how the points get put on the board. So. I've always just leaned into that approach to it and tried to, to think of it as a team sport and it's worked so far. So we keep doing it. Are you a big reader? Um, more of a listener while I drive than reader at my stage of life.
1: Okay. And so are you listening to a lot of professional management or leadership podcasts? Are you listening more to trade industry kind of stuff? If I saw your podcast list, what would I be exposed to? I will lean into a lot of the short term versus the, the longer
2: chapter books, if you will. Okay. But I, I find myself having to make an hour drive between branches or to and from home or wherever it may be. Right. And being able to just listen to a, a half hour to a one hour podcast on on leadership, whether it's a uh, there's a local gentleman that does the learning leader. And I think he's got some phenomenal guests on his I think that you can get a lot of the industry podcasts that you stay relevant from a a 360 viewpoint to make sure that what you're believing is understood, accepted, and ready for where the industry is also evolving into. And you take all that together and you kind of form your own opinions and strategies and then you go out there and execute.
1: The business when you took it over, if do I recall correctly, three branches or were there two? There was one. There was still only one. Okay. All right. Forgive me. I was thinking that you had had one or two when you started. All right. So when there was one and, and then you went to how many now that you will actually look physical locations? We'll have eight at the end of this year. Okay, So what's the biggest difference for you as a leader when you have these different locations and what you know where your time goes today versus where it went five, six, seven, eight years ago?
2: If I can go back to
1: sports, I think when
2: I first came into the business, I was the quarterback, called the plays, kind of built the strategy on a on a transactional basis. The evolution has really evolved into instead of becoming the quarterback, moving to the sidelines and being the coach. And even to the point where now I have to take a step into the owner's box and let some of the coaches coach and get out of the way. So I think that evolution through that multi-site network and the journey that our organization and team has embarked upon—it's almost as hard to not help as it is to help, and that's that's
1: an interesting balance point. You got to say that again. It's it's it's, um, What'd you say? Harder to. It's almost harder to not help than to help.
2: Yeah. But that's where the true growth comes into. That's where the rubber meets the road is when you allow that individual the opportunity to, to look and feel through their own eyeballs, make the right decision and learn from whatever the results were positive or negative, there's learning that takes place. And those, those fail points are absolute gold. If you'll look at them as the price of tuition relative to what happened.
1: I wrote recently in a blog that we put up on the website about uh, not thinking of you per se, but in general, Are you at the point where you're able to let somebody make a decision with which you would disagree or even where you you would believe it's wrong, but you trust the person well enough to let them do that? And knowing that if they did make the wrong decision, they'll figure it out. So that's a that's a really high level of maturity to get to, because I don't know that I ever did that well, if at all. It's part of our culture. We've we're probably one of the more backwards
2: organizations where. On day one, we're going to teach you how to fail. And we make an acronym out of it. It's it's fix, assess, improve and learn. And we'll actually celebrate the failures once they've come full circle so that we can have that shared learning take place instead of just individual learning.
1: Do you literally if I join you day one, do I get a chance to fail or or is that more theoretically that you're going to try to put me in that situation? No, day one.
2: If things go as planned and we can coordinate the schedules, On they don't let me be part of the hiring process anymore. <laughs> so the trade was I get to sit down with every new team member and introduce the mission, vision, values and culture of this organization. And I will I will leave them with a few things. But it, the crossed eyes, stares, whatnot, what you get when you say, I really genuinely hope you fail. <laughs> takes a little explanation, but once they lean into it and they learn that that trust is there and that we're investing in you through the journey, not just every two weeks when we scratch you a check, is where I think you really build that trust and rapport and allow everybody a, a safe spot to do the right thing and function in a cohesive group.
1: Have you built your job at this point to spend most of your time on the things that give you energy or... Do you still have some things that are part of your role that, you know, you have to do because only you can do them, but it's not intuitive or, you know, it drains you when you have to do it?
2: There's still a couple of the big rocks that need a little lever to be pushed over the side. But the way I look at it is this team is so resilient and so skilled and so passionate about what we bring and do on behalf of our customers that I'm a contributor, but I'm not a necessity at this stage of the game. So you really got a business now. We have a great team that's made a business out of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, you don't have to be there every day to know that it's working. That's an exciting place to get your, your organization. Well, I certainly hope they don't listen to you, Ed, because I'd really like <laughs> them to have me every day. I enjoy going in every day. I know that. I know that. But, but all of a sudden, it's an entirely different entity when, when you're not there to keep the flywheel turning. You don't have to be there for every, every rotation. When I think about the culture as it was when I first met you, and the culture as it appears to be today, would you call it evolved or would you call it different? I would call it evolved. I think that
2: every person that is leading an organization has a style, good, bad, and different. Mm -hmm. And we've evolved our organization through necessity. Some of what our industry shifted to some of what just different styles between my father and I to really encourage everyone to take that sense of ownership into what they do and bring to the customer every day. Whereas when we were single site, the path of least resistance was to be able to go ask somebody, right? And when you're multi site, you have to understand what the downstream impacts are of what those decisions are. And it, it teaches you to weave it together a little bit differently and,
1: and collaborate and lean on that team. Does the kind of people you're looking for today, and try to bring in the organization? Is it just more of the same of what you've historically looked for or are you looking for different kinds of people that you didn't need when you were one or two branches
2: i would say it's probably a little bit of both okay if if we get passionate people that are willing to be coached and willing to serve both the team and the customers in a fair and equitable mutually beneficial capacity we can do great things i think we're always going to be looking for those individuals when we align values, it gets very magnetic. we're attracted to each other. So I also believe that there's some things as the business evolves and grows, that there's a skill set that takes years and experience to learn that sometimes you have to bring on because it's just not very practical or high probability that that is going to evolve at the same pace of the business. So if I could use an example. There's a separate level of financial aptitude needed for some of what we're doing today versus what we were doing then. Yeah, right. Those skills are never going to not be necessary through any business evolution. But the the purposeful, passionate people that we have that go out there day in and day out with the boots in the dirt to get the things done, work truly and genuinely as an extension of our customer's business. Those folks, we're always going to have a roster spot for.
1: Got it. I'm thinking about the journey of, of where you've been and gotten to today and then uh what's possible. And I think you've always thought that you wanted to build a a sizable business and, and sizable could mean a lot of things to a lot of a lot of others, but big enough to really know that to some degree you control your own destiny or you have to be considered <laughs> if vendors are gonna make decisions that could be impactful to you they have to give you consideration because you're big enough that it would make a difference so with that in mind how big do you want to get what, what's have you have you thought about what big looks like now compared to what it looked like 10 years ago
2: compared to what it looked like 10 years ago it looks bigger today but i don't know i get asked this question a lot Ed, just because we've gone from one location in 2016 to eight locations in 2021 and i anticipate that we'll probably tap the gas pedal more than we will in the break but the reality of it is it's a multi-pronged answer as long as it keeps being fun and we can do great things by our customers and great opportunities for our team members and we can be a value-added partner for our vendors we're going to keep leaning in and wherever that journey takes us to we're going to continue to chase it because it's fun but when we can't stop being those things or we have some degradation of quality or we're not being as good of a partner as someone else can, then we're going to go ahead and hit that gap or that brake pedal and make sure that we correct those. And that's when we'll stop growing because we have something that we need to grow internally to make sure we're putting out the best
1: product and service. I know people might not believe me when I say this, but if if I had to work in a company, yours is one I'd probably want to work in. I uh, one I like dealing with contractors. they're a bit of maverick in most of them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> There's a genuineness to what they tell you, good, bad, and different. Yeah, yeah, there but, really is. It's but honesty is on the forefront of most of the folks we work
1: with. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And then I, I know you try to do things the right way. And I just appreciate the simplicity that you bring to the way you operate a business. So that's that's pretty cool. One thing I want to ask you about, because I see this lacking a lot of business owners and executives, they have high levels of business acumen, but I think so many don't really understand the true cost of doing business. And I feel like somewhere along the line, you understood that was pretty crucial. I don't know if you got that from your dad or that just became evident to you. What, what's your thoughts about uh, knowing the cost that you have for operating the business and, and you know what, what you can affect and what you can't?
2: I, I think it was when we leaned into growth, it was what surfaced out of necessity to be able to grow the team we had to hire more people to hire more people we needed to create more cash and we didn't have any money (laughs) so if the only way to win the game was to figure out how you could create the cash to be able to hire the people and then if you could grow the people they would grow the cash but it really became a chicken and the egg so the way to solve that problem was to dig down deep, figure out what the true cost of business was as granular as what we could get it and then make smart decisions, but also educate across the team what those smart decisions were and why. Everybody's a little kid at five years old says, why, 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 why? And we wanted those folks that were thirsty and willing to be coachable for the knowledge so that they could help us drag that ball to the goal line.
1: How far do you, you know, I, I, I get the impression that you, that doesn't reside in five people in your organization. You're trying to push that thinking way, way down within Vandalia Rental, but how do you make sure people understand the the impact that their thinking and their decisions has on the financial results? What What's the mechanism by which you get that transferred?
2: We do our best to teach
1: it up front,
2: but in a forced learning environment, everybody only learns at whatever pace they're willing to Tune in and tune out. Right. So what we try and do is just coach and educate in the moments that they allow us to do so. We celebrate those fail points, right? Here's how we got this wrong. Here's why we got it wrong. Here's what we thought going in. And I'm probably the biggest cheerleader to that. I have failed more than anyone in the organization, but I get to learn and teach at the same time through my own failures so that hopefully someone else has the confidence to be able to step up and
1: share their story with others too. The one thing, if if your uh, business at all has a uh, uh, series of vendors with whom you have to deal and you need to be able to buy right from those vendors, Kurt, uh, one of the things I think you've done as well as anybody is making sure you get optimal pricing from your vendors. So, again, was that a learned thing? Is that something that you experimented with? Did you get a, a example of what to do and not to do from your dad? How did you... How did you learn to focus and, and not only focus on it, but get so skilled? at? I, I think you've punched way above your weight for your size in terms of getting deals from your vendors. So I'm just curious about how that all happened. Boy, I hope they don't
2: listen to this either, Ed. <laughs> the, um, I think everything goes back to the same mentality. It, everybody has needs, wants, and desires. And most people enter a negotiation with their needs, wants, and desires we would go into it with what is the optimal result for our supplier. And if we can both find a way to mutually row in the same direction, we tend to get to where we're going. And I think when you establish that level of trust and rapport and you can start to ask the, the relevant question versus the tight to your chest questions, everybody opens up a little bit and then it's just a puzzle and you have to figure out the why to get to the how to get to the when. And then ultimately you end up with the what works for everybody and it has to be mutual. If if I get filet and they get ground chuck, it doesn't work. It's not sustainable. But we can both have a good T-bone
1: and be happy. Okay. Uh, are you still as active in the buying of equipment as you've always been, or have you started to shed some of that responsibility to others? I, I still am
2: actively involved in a lot of the, the larger vendor negotiations, but we're starting to cascade that downstream. I think in the next three years, I'll probably be removed from that process, except for the I really like this person, so Uh, I want to stop it and say hi type stuff. Um, Yeah, yeah, I get that. Sometimes that balance and growth is that to truly grow the right ways, you have to give up some of the things that you enjoy doing so that somebody else has an opportunity to to enjoy those same things. But you have to make sure that what you're doing and, and how and what you're bringing to the organization remains fun in that process too. So I'm blessed that I love figuring out problems or obstacles or removing barriers. And that allows me to stay relevant in in my role and value add for our team.
1: You get a lot of energy from striking a good deal. I do. Yeah. (laughs) But I want everybody to win at some stage of the game. I know. know. If you don't like it
2: and I don't like it, that's probably where it's fair.
1: No, I understand. Both of us got to feel like we gave a little, no question about it. Sure. Uh, He's Kurt Barney. He's the CEO of Vandalia Rental. I count him as a a friend and a a really talented executive. Kurt, we always ask our guests to share the one thing that if they were giving advice to others, this one thing you would say matters more disproportionately to success for somebody running a successful and sustainable business. I know it's a tough answer to to come up with, but if there could be one thing you'd share with our audience of executives and business owners, what would that be?
2: You know, Ed, if, if one thing pops in my mind, it would be to be vulnerable, be willing to fail, Be strategic, be focused, be intentional, but take action and allow that failure to learn how to get it right rather than be paralyzed by thinking you don't have it perfect. I believe if we have something 65% of the way figured out, we can learn the 35% along the journey of how to get it right. And a great idea without action won't get you anywhere. But an idea that you learned along the journey wasn't good will get you closer to where you're looking to go.
1: If somebody wanted to reach out to you, Kurt, and hey, they would have questions. What's the best way for them to make contact with you? You're welcome to reach out to me via LinkedIn.
2: I'd happily share my email address. It's rather long. It's kirk.barney at Vandalierunnel.com. And if you'd like, you're welcome to call the branch. I'm any branch for that matter. I'm <laughs> sure that they would probably transfer you once they, they vetted you out just a little bit. But if you tell <laughs> them to listen to Ed, Ed at podcast and you got a follow up question, I imagine they patch you through.
1: Uh, That'd be great. Kurt, it's always a pleasure to be in your presence and to learn from you. And I I know I've learned a a tremendous amount watching you operate your business. And it's it's been fun. And I can't wait to see where you take it in the next 10 years. Thanks for being a guest here on the Ed Epley Experience.
2: Ed, thanks for having me. And, And equally, I've learned a lot along the journey and appreciated all the foresight and insight. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.TheEpleyGroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs, that's The Epley, E-P-P-L-E-Y, group.com, plus Take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills.